0: Well, imagine a whole city. Let's take Auckland. What about New York? London? Los Angeles? Paris? Imagine a whole city repenting and turning to God in mass. You go to the mall, everyone's talking about Jesus. You're getting your hair cut. They just want to know what church you go to. Go to the bakery. They don't charge you any money because they're all Christians. <laughs> Petrol station. Attendance, they're, they're smiling and just saying, won't, won't, Just won't be a moment, just got to finish praying for this person. Imagine a, a city turning to God. Who would who, like that? Wouldn't that be amazing? <clears throat> Do you know that was always God's intention? It was always what God planned right from the beginning. Um, imagine most people in your street are Christians, your neighbors, are all, all saved, and there's only maybe one house left that you all target to get that person saved. I reckon that would be uh, fantastic. Is that possible? Yes. Has it ever happened? Yes. I want to look at that today because it happened in the Bible. So I want to go to the book of Jonah. See, anyone can find Jonah. Once you've found Jonah, raise your hand because Jonah is really hard to find. No hands up yet. Hey, someone's got it there. Val, the legend. Val Woollett, the legend of Church Unlimited. This lady's been in the church just about as long as I have and has been an unbelievable blessing to me, to my wife, she's, she's very mischievous, so I need to tell you that. Yeah, yeah she causes me a lot of grief over the years, but I can handle it. She's a great cook too, by the way, all right? In fact, I haven't had a meal there for quite some time, and I think. <laughs> hey, get back to the, see, that mischief, whenever I talk about Val, mischief comes out, so it's all her fault. Jo- Jonah 3, verse 1. Let's have a look. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So all the people, all the people of Nineveh, this is the whole city, believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them. To the least, in verse ten, then God saw their works that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Wow! What an you know you can read that quickly, but this is an amazing story. This is like some preacher coming into Auckland says, "Repent! You've got forty days, or else I'm going to destroy the city." and we all repent. The whole city turns to God. That's, that's the equivalent of what happened in the story. So we're going to examine this a little bit as I do one last message, if you can handle. Can you handle one more on repentance? I, you know, I know I've pushed it out here a bit. You know, most churches never preach on it, but uh, we, you know, it's in my heart to do this. So I just want to share one last message. And then next week, I think if the Lord is leading me as what I'm hearing God say He wants me to do a few messages on the Lord of the breakthrough. I just feel God's got breakthrough on his heart. You know, every so often there's a season of breakthrough. I just think there's another one coming. That's why we've got this three days prayer and fasting coming as well. So you can prepare yourself um, for that, um, uh, for what's coming up. But come along next week too and invite some people who need a breakthrough. So Jonah gives us two great examples of repentance. One is Jonah himself repents, but also the whole city repents. And so first Jonah, remember he's called by God to go and preach to the Ninevites. He doesn't want to do it because so he, he doesn't want Nineveh to repent and he's not happy with these people. So he, he runs from the call of God. He gets onto a boat and he's taken off from the call of God. But God runs after him with a storm. A storm comes up. The boat's going to be you know, shipwrecked, as it were. The sailors think, Jonah, you're the problem. They cast lots and all the rest of it and they throw him overboard. <laughs> Lesson number one. Don't ever run from the call of God, because God will chase you. And guess what? He can run faster than you. He's a hound of heaven. He'll keep following after you until He finds you. So then God sends in His mercy in the belly of the whale, Jonah repents and puts, gets his life right for running away from God. Isn't it amazing that when we find ourselves in trouble, in strife, how difficulties can quickly turn us back to God? And we kind Because of, immediately when things are going wrong, we think, God, what have I done wrong? Yeah, I've done this, this, this. Sorry, God, forgive me, I repent. That's what Jonah does. So God then, in His mercy, spits him out onto dry ground. He goes back into Nineveh a second time, and He proclaims 40 days, and then the nation will be destroyed. Just one day, everyone say one day, one day into his preaching, a miracle happens, and the people repent. And Nineveh, they were powerful, they were arrogant, they were violent, they were wicked. I mean, this was a terrible city. And yet, at the preaching of God's Word, they believed the message, and the king himself recognized they have been doing great evil when he says in verse 8, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So what I want to look at today is what does repentance actually look like? So the first thing it involves is confession. All right, let them give up their evil ways. So there's a confession. It begins with realizing that we have done something wrong. We've offended God, and that's followed by a confession. Remember the Prodigal son. He wants his evidence. he runs away and he uses it all up on wild and loose living and, and the rest of it. And then there's an amazing verse in Luke 15, 70, 18. It says, When he came to himself, he said, Father, he said, No, he said, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And sometimes, you know, the prodigal son, he came to himself in a sense, he came to his senses. And isn't it true, every so often in our lives, you know, we're going down the wrong track. We need to just come to our senses. And we all know people going down a, a bad spiral, a wrong, a wrong road, and you know it's gonna lead them in trouble. And you're thinking, man, if only they would come to their senses. Only they'd wake up and get themselves sorted out. And I think that needs to happen to all of us from time to time. So repentance is not just recognizing our bad behavior that it hurts people. It does, doesn't it? Hurts us, we know that, but also it hurts God. Ultimately, sinners is against God. And God is a person. And he can be grieved. He can be hurt. He can be disturbed. And sometimes I think we forget that, you know, when we do things wrong, that God himself is wounded, if it's possible, I guess, or hurt or grieved and there's one reason we need to get these things sorted out. See, Nineveh is probably one, probably the greatest example of corporate repentance or one of the greatest in all of the Bible. They, you know, not only do they hear the Word, this, and just think this for a moment, here's this ungodly, wicked, heathen nation. They hear the Word of the Lord, they begin to fast. I mean, seriously, we struggle to get Christians fasting. But they, these guys begin to fast. They put on sackcloth and ashes and go around mourning like they're thinking (laughs) they knew we are in serious trouble here. They respond immediately. Imagine that happening even in our nation. And they fast, the fast is done from the least, from the king to the the greatest to the least. And guess what? Even the animals fast. You read it. It's in there. Now I'm not sure how they did that. How did they get rid of all the grass? And anyway, the animals, everybody. Fast, I'm not sure whether the animals put on sackcloth and ashes because that would be quite hard to do, I guess. But whatever it did, they did it. And uh, this is what I've found: sometimes we confess our sins or repent because we feel bad. We want to get rid of feeling bad, so we don't want. To, no one wants to feel bad, so we confess and kind of we repent, but we're not really planning to change. We just want to get rid of that bad feeling. And that's something you have to be careful of. It's like the man who sent a check to the government for back taxes because he'd been cheating on the government with his taxes. There's a note attached to it which says, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes, I had to send you this check. If I still don't feel better, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) What was he trying to do? Just ease the conscience, ease the guilt. And sometimes our running to an altar to confess is just to get rid of this guilt. But God, repentance is a lot deeper than that. When revival came to the Orkney Islands off Scotland, one of the things you find about a is repentance is a very common thing. Yes. It just happens. Uh, but when that happened, it was, the repentance was so strong that sailors would be sailing past, or sailing, and they'd have to pull up and find a church because the, the conviction of sin was so great. That they had to find a place. Of course, they could have done it where they stood, but this is what, you know, in that case, they wanted to find a church and get it sorted out. Friends, we need to see God do something like that again. 1 John 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just backing up from that, remember David commits sin, adultery with Bathsheba, he gets caught out. He tries to cover it up. God sends a prophet to confront him. And just, just have a look at Psalm 51. This will give you a picture of what repentance looks like if you're unfamiliar with this. Okay? This is David. You know why he's a man after God's own heart? I reckon one reason, he knew how to repent. He was a terrible sinner. I mean, He did some horrendous things, things you and I will never do. But he could repent. So that qualified him to be a man after God's own heart. So Psalm 51, 1 to 3, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And then verse 4, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. You know, no one needs to leave here feeling condemned because the blood of Jesus has never lost its power. Moment of confession and the sin is gone. I think that's not the hard part. The hard part is getting our life sorted out and walking with God in a correct way. So the second thing about repentance, it results in a change of behavior. Now, Paul faced this in the Corinthian church. I mean, Paul was a fine preacher. But he realized that all his preaching wasn't having the results that it should have. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 12, 20 to 21, he says, I fear lest when I come. Now, these are the things that Paul wasn't happy about. Okay, there we go. It's going to come up there. Lest when I come, there be contentions. Now, I know Church Unlimited would never have contentions among any of our parishioners or groups or departments. I'm sure that doesn't happen here. But Paul said, you know, He was afraid that there would be contention because that would have to be repented of. Just slow down there for a little moment for you to dwell on that for a second. Um, Jealousies. No, we're not jealous people. Outbursts of wrath. Mm, That's anger. Selfish ambitions. I'm sure we've all dealt with any personal selfishness here. Backbiting. Why are you all so quiet? <laughs> <laughs> Whisperings. It's like psst, psst. conceits, tumults. I shall mourn for many who have sinned before, have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, ludicrous. Why I'm bringing this out is I want just to show this is very much a New Testament principle. This is not just Old Testament, like some are saying now, there's no longer any need to repent, all your sins are covered, past, present, and future. All that sort of talk is out there. But that's, friends, this is biblical, arrow of truth, New Testament preaching. Okay, it's in the Scriptures. We preach the whole counsel of God at Church Unlimited. We don't hold back. If it's in the Word, we'll declare it, hopefully, with love, kindness, and compassion. Some say... Listen for a few moments, because some say there's little difference in ethical behavior between Christians and non-Christians. They did a survey in the United States of 80 different areas of of living in society, and they found the difference between Christians and non-Christians was negligible. There's still dishonesty, there's still stealing. And I ask the question, how can that be? How can that possibly be? And yet... I would suggest there's a lack of repentance in some cases. Christianity is too often not life-changing. So it's possible to add Christ to our lives, but not subtract wrong and sin and things that are not pleasing to God. We just add Jesus onto our bus, as it were, and take Him for the ride because we think that will get us to heaven. But that really is not what God is after. He wants... A cha- you know, there can be a change of belief without change of behaviour. <laughs> but the two got to go together. We got to walk the talk. Anybody with me? Why does the church, why does a nation, why does the world mock the church? Why do they criticise the church? Because they say, you say one thing, but you live another thing. You talk about love, but you, you know, you, you, you say things and do things that are, are not loving at all. You're dishonest at times. You cheat at times. And so they think, if that's church, we're not interested. They call us hypocrites. And there's not, you can't just say there's no foundation for that, friends, because there is actually some truth in that. However, Church Unlimited, I'm sure, is different. Steve Hill, the great revivalist in Brownsville, he made a stand. I read it the other day and I thought, wow, that's a stand. He said, nothing's going to change in our nation or churches until we deal with the matter of sin. Ooh. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Okay, I've only seen two or three walk out so far. So <laughs> just lock the doors. You're right, Keith, down the back. You awake? How are you feeling, by the way? You okay? Good. All right. So, no lying. Guy spots the sign that reads "Talking Dog for Sale." Any of you got a talking dog? A lot of people talk to their dogs. hey, I've seen it. And talk, dog barks back, and, and what is that? So anyway, this is talking dog for sale, and he walks in and he asks the dog, because it's a talking dog. He walks in and he says to the dog, "So, what have you done with your life?" To his utter amazement, the dog says, "I've lived in the Alps, rescuing av- avalanche v- victims. I've served in Iraq." And now I spend my days reading to residents in a retirement home. The guy is shocked. So he says to the owner, he said, why on earth would you want to get rid of an incredible dog like that? And the man said, the owner says, because he's a liar. He never did any of those things. (laughs) So, no lying, church. All right. No half-truths. No white lies, no brown lies. I don't know why. It's, why is it called white lies, by the way? I'm not sure about that. So I'm going to change it to no black lies or brown lies anymore. You just got to start a whole new movement. So back to Jonah. The king doesn't just call the people to fast and mourn. Okay? He calls for a change of behavior. In verse 8, we read it before. It says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. So God requires an about-face, complete turnaround. Okay. Imagine a wife tells her husband, turn right at the next junction. But by mistake, he turns left. So when he realizes he's turned the wrong direction, he just, if he just says, I'm sorry, honey, I went the wrong way, and keeps on driving in the same direction, well, that's not repentance. What he needs to do, it'd be no problem for me because I'd always do what my wife says. So I'm talking about some of you who don't, all right? You need to listen carefully here. All right? What he needs to do is turn around, go back, and make the correct turn that his wife told him to in the first place. So it's not just saying I did something wrong. It's actually changing our behavior. It's easy to say, I wronged, I sinned, I got it wrong, I made a mistake. That's not hard. Anyone can say that. But to change behavior, well, that's another story. Okay, fasten your seatbelts because, once again, we're heading into some turbulence. And this is stuff you've probably not heard for a long, long time. So please just listen. If you don't agree with it, just listen anyway. Restitution. Everyone say restitution. (laughs) You're probably asking, what on earth does that mean? It means we return, replace, pay back things we may have stolen in our last workplace. That's right. True. That's good. University, school, neighbour, wherever. Return things we've stolen or cheated off others or where possible we put things right, wrongs that we have done. So let's go to Proverbs. I'm going to run out of time this morning. Oh, it's a shame. Proverbs 6. You have to come back to next service if you want the rest of it. Proverbs 6, which <laughs> you probably don't. Okay, verse 30 to 31. All right. <laughs> Someone's saying, Boy, I'm glad he's not going to finish this one. Uh, verse 30 please do not despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Restitution. Zacchaeus gets saved in Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That's restitution. I'm not saying fourfold, sevenfold, but I'm saying God expects us to restore and return and put right things that we may have stolen or cheated. God convicted a Dutchman of a sin. Next morning, he went to another man and said to him, do you recognize this? Oh, watch. The guy said, Yes. It's got my initials on the back. I lost it eight years ago. How did you get it? The man said, I stole it. He said, well, why have you brought it back? He said, last night I got saved. And so I've come to put right what I have taken. Friends, salvation, repentance is more than I, I, sorry, I'm wrong. Confession, even changing behavior, all that's part of it. But there's also a putting right of that which we've done wrong. When I got saved, there was one person in particular that I had a very bad relationship with. We were conflicting through our sporting days. So once I got saved, God convicted me. I went to his house, the hardest thing I've probably ever done in my life. Knocked on his door, confessed my error, the error of my ways, that my relationship with him had not been right and asked for his forgiveness. I put it right. And then later on, after being a Christian over 20 years or something like that, God convicted me of speaking negatively about three pastors that were on our staff, and I'd said things about them to other people, and God convicted me, I knew it was wrong. And so, because they knew I had done it, I then, because if they didn't know I had done it, I wouldn't have said anything, but they knew I'd done it, so I went to each one of them, three of them confessed my sin, and asked their forgiveness. Do you wanna know something, church? It was after that, when I did that repentance, and putting it right, restitution, God opened the door to Church Unlimited. And I've always wondered, If I'd never bothered to put some stuff right, would God have opened the door for me? I can't answer that question, but boy, there was a mighty coincidence there. (laughs) Repentance is a move of the Spirit. You see, in Nineveh, nothing short of a miracle. It's impossible to imagine that Nineveh, this wicked, evil nation or city, would repent. But in the same way, when we repent, it's actually a miracle it's a work of God in our hearts. And there's areas we all need to repent of, but we're just not aware of it yet. So John 16, 8 says, when he, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts people of guilt and sin. And then it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, 1 verse 5, the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep... It, Conviction. Everyone say deep conviction. So you know what? When you come to services, somewhere along the line, you should feel deep conviction. According to my Bible. If the Spirit of God is working, it's, it's, it, you know, unless, unless we're already like Jesus. Anybody here like Jesus? No. So we need, I need deep conviction. I really do. And so when I hear it and feel it and sense it, it delights me. I just love it. So the final point is this. Repentance thankfully leads to God's mercy. So after Jonah repents, God doesn't say, okay, Jonah, thanks for for repenting, but hey, you disobeyed me. I'm now gonna raise up another prophet to preach to Nineveh. You, buddy, you're finished. It's over, over. You messed up, it's done. No, no, God's not like that. Repentance always leads to mercy. Repentance always releases God's favor. In fact, I want to say repentance always takes you forward. If you feel stuck, if you feel trapped, you feel nothing's happened, I guarantee if you find repentance as the Lord leads you, it will move you forward. See, I think we get stuck. Bang! Bang! Because it's something God wants to touch in our lives. And repentance always takes you forward. So Jonah this time obeys. And, you know, so you know, God doesn't just give a, gave, gave him a second chance, but he'll always give you a second chance. And His mercy a third chance, a fourth chance. Any number of chances you need, God will give them to you. Because God has always got a good plan in mind for your future. Right. It, I don't care where you're at today. I don't care if you've sinned all week. God has got a great plan for your future. No matter who who we are, no matter what we've done. But I believe one of the pathways into it often, not always, is repentance. And God's mercy extends to the Ninevites. Jonah 3 verse 10, God saw their works. They turned from the evil ways. God relented from the disaster that He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. But interestingly, God gave them 40 days. He said, you've got 40 days to sort this out. I don't want to make a doctrine out of that. God is extremely patient with us, but I wouldn't test his patience if I was you. The later season church was neither hot nor cold, but in Revelation 3.20 it says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, dine with him and he with me. Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts. He's knocking on my door today. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Why? Because he wants to come in And have a deeper, closer, more intimate, more wonderful relationship and walk with us. He wants to take us further in his plans and his purposes for our lives. He wants us to fulfill our our destiny. So every day I believe to a certain measure God's. Let me in. Let me into another part of your life. Let me take you deeper. And I believe to a measure, he'll never stop knocking. But we can stop listening to the knock. As the magicians come and join me, we're going to sing Set a Fire very shortly. As I close it, Matthew 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, if you mourn, if you're convicted and you mourn, hey, great. (laughs) What a blessing. It means that you're sensitive to the Spirit. If you're convicted and you don't mourn, then I'd be worried. I'd be worried. It's like our conscience has now seared. But if we do mourn, we are blessed because we will be comforted. Repentance is an essential foundation. Essential. Remember, it's the first foundational doctrine of the Christian faith is repentance. Essential foundation to a strong faith. It is a wonderful word. It's a wonderful word. I hope you've seen that. It's one of the most wonderful words in all of Scripture because it is the gateway to God. If you hadn't repented, you wouldn't be saved. It's a gateway to God. And it remains the gateway to more and more and more of God in our life. God wants us to experience peace, joy, fulfillment, and freedom. My Bible says the truth will set you free. Repentance is truth. And it is the pathway to moving forward into greater things in God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>